I'm just waiting for my star balloon. If you guys weren't here last week, uh, there was a balloon, star balloon that came down on Tyler as he was talking. It made him feel special. I thought that was nice. I thought maybe it was the Lord telling him to wrap it up, but now I better look for heavy things above me just to make sure. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, excited to be here. My name is Justin Fanoff, uh, one of the teaching pastors here, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Uh, and I'm excited to be able to kind of wrap up this series that we've been doing, Strangers Welcomed. And uh, we've really been looking at this kind of idea. Uh, and we, you know, what we've been doing over the last three, four years or so, give or take a little bit, um, is this idea of taking one of our culture statements that we have here at River Run uh, as, a, as a faith family and kind of using it as a theme for our year that we're kind of focusing a lot of stuff through that. And so one of uh, the ones that we have that we're kind of looking at a lot this year is this idea of God takes strangers and makes them family and what it means to kind of be a stranger or estranged. Uh, And so we really kind of focused a lot on that in the first series. And in this series, we've been really looking at how those that we might see as a stranger or we might see a certain way, God very clearly saw them in a different way, and we need to be moving more towards that. And so we've been looking at some different folks there. And so we're going to continue that uh, and kind of wrap that up here uh, today. Uh, before we do that, let me pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. Uh, so Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for you and your love for us. We're so grateful that you are El Roy. You are the God who sees us. Every part of us, down to the most inner parts, you see us, and we're so grateful for that, as hard as it can be sometimes. And with that, I pray that your spirit just guide our hearts and our minds this morning as we take in what you have for us, that I would just move out of the way that you would speak through me to what you desire for us to hear this morning. So we love you, and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so a couple little things that are a couple of things that I want to kind of try and us to think through as we're processing today. Um, And just to start out so you kind of know where we're headed uh, is these two ideas right here. Okay, so we talk about El Roy, God sees me, the God who sees me. Right. Then we want to think about it as we kind of put a bow on this series, although, you know, we'll kind of continue looking at this kind of stuff in different ways. What does God seeing me mean for me inwardly? Right. And then what does God seeing others as God sees them mean for me outwardly? Okay, so there's like two things that we can always be thinking of. What does God seeing me mean for me inwardly? And then what does God seeing others or what does seeing others as God sees them mean for me outwardly? Because when we want to move out and go out faithfully in the way that God has asked us to, we really have to make sure that we're where we're supposed to be in here first right? It's kind of that good things in, good things out, junk in, junk out kind of thing, right? We want to really make sure that where we are inwardly is where he desires for us to be as we move outwardly. And so we looked at this through the lens of a foreign slave that was oppressed in Hagar in the first week, right? And how no matter how many other, like no matter the world did not see her, God did and what that meant for her life and the things that he did through that. We saw the Samaritan woman, very despised, very an outcast, even amongst her own people. But Jesus saw her and saw her heart, right? And what could be accomplished through her getting to know him. And then we see the things that were accomplished. And we see a a, a man who most people would honestly use the term scum. It's an ugly word, but that's really the way that a lot of people thought of Zacchaeus, who was this tax collector and, and just the absolute worst of the worst to most people. But Jesus saw him and treated him very different than the way the world, and if we're honest, we would treat him. 
And so the thing that we have to remember as we are thinking inwardly first is that God may be a stranger to us, but no one is a stranger to God. God may be a stranger to us. We're still working on that, right? Things have been broken, and we're trying to, you know, when we believe in what he's done for us through Jesus on the cross, we're working to reestablish that shalom, that original design and intent that God had in Eden at the very beginning. We look around today, this is not the original design. This is not how it was meant to be, right? It was that perfect shalom, shalom meaning peace of a right standing with God, right standing with each other, and a right standing with earth or nature, right? And so we're talking a lot about with each other, but we can't get right here unless we're right here. And so we have to remember that God doesn't see strangers. So we want to work towards not seeing strangers as well. God put on my heart something this week as I was kind of processing this. And it just really kind of wrecked me a little bit because I was like, wow, I, 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 I don't, I'm not here where I need to be, right? And it was this, the first stranger I have to get to know is me. The first stranger I have to get to know is me. Yes, I want to know the Lord. That is first and foremost. But after that, I got to get to know myself. Know what I'm saying? How many of us really know ourselves as well as we think we do? I would wager to say not as well as you think. We have to know, how do I respond to things? What is my personality like, right? We need to be able to understand that, yes, God can lead us and guide us, and the Holy Spirit should be guiding us, and we should be leaning into that 100%. Don't hear me not say that, right? The Spirit is our guide, and that is what we want to be doing. Along with that, he also created you unique and beautiful and amazing. You have a different personality than I do. Somebody else has a different personality than we do. That's the beauty of it. It's incredible. And so there's all these sorts of things out there that can help us to know us better because the more I know about me, the better the Spirit can guide me. His Spirit can guide me. So there's, that's why there's all sorts of things out there like personality tests and all this different stuff and professionals that we can go talk to or even talking to somebody who we trust is walking faithfully with the Lord that can help us to understand, to help us understand. And as we go to the Lord first every day, which is the goal, he helps us to understand more about that as we process these things. It's, none of these things are the end-all, be-all, but they all give us information that can help us learn, who am I? How do I process with other people? How do I respond to other people? What is my general mode of thinking? It's different for a lot of people. And so knowing ourselves is really, really important. But God is also working in us as we get to know ourselves. And so what we're going to do is we've been looking at these folks, these uh, people in the Bible um, that God really saw, and they came from all different walks of life, right? So we've talked about the three that we looked at. And today I want to look at this gentleman named Peter, all right? Gentleman named Peter. He's one of Jesus' disciples, and not only that, he was actually one of Jesus' intimate disciples, you know, there's the 12 disciples, and then there was three of them that were actually kind of in the inner circle with Jesus. Peter, James, and John were like even closer to Jesus, right? And so Peter's really in this inner circle with Jesus. So you would think, oh, this guy, super holy, right? Knows exactly, he just follows exactly what Jesus is talking about. He never messes up. No. Peter suffers from this thing that I like to call foot and mouth syndrome, all right? Uh, maybe you, some of you know what I'm talking about, 
right? He's, con- he's so passionate. It, one of the beautiful things about Peter is that he's so passionate that he sometimes jumps ahead and his, his body is writing checks that his, or his, his mind's writing checks that his body can't cash or his mouth is, right? Like, he's just so passionate about stuff and he wants to do what Jesus wants him to do, but sometimes that means that he missteps. Or sometimes it means that he's afraid of something and he's still battling with that within himself. And so the beautiful thing that I love about Peter as you read through the Gospels in particular and then even his epistles that he wrote is that he's kind of an everyman. Peter's kind of an everyman. He kind of can remind you of yourself sometimes. And so Peter, this is the person that Peter is, but he has a very, very important role. Okay, when you first meet Peter in the Gospels, he's known as Simon. You'll notice that if you're reading through the Gospels, okay? His name is Simon, and God, or Pete, or Jesus, right, when he meets him, he calls him and he becomes one of his disciples. And at one point, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so they kind of respond, and they say, who do you say that I am? And they're still kind of saying what they feel like Jesus uh, wants to hear or what other people are saying. And Simon's the one that's like, Peter is the one that says, you're the Messiah, You're the one, you're the Christ. You are our forever king, the savior of the world that God the Father has sent down. And Jesus says, you know, yeah, family feud, good answer, good answer, right? You got it, buddy. And at that moment, he changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. How cool is that, right? How'd you like that part? Like somebody comes to you and says, my name is Simon. Nope, it is not. Your name is Phil now. You know, like that'd be a wild power to have. But Peter means rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Is what Jesus says to Peter. He's the OG rock before the one that we know. And you know what he's cooking. It's kosher. So, he's got this set up. Not only is he one of Jesus' disciples, not only is he the rock on which God is going to build his church, that Jesus is going to build his church, all right? But he is going to be this person that is going to launch this movement, this insane movement, this crazy movement, this wildfire that's going to take off for Christ followers. There's a slight problem. He's not perfect. Right? And so the thing that I think is great about Peter is that we can see ourselves in him. So he's been established with all this. Jesus is arrested, and he's going on trial, and he's going to be going to the cross. And when that happens, Peter is the one. So we think about Judas as like betraying Jesus, and he's the one that hands over Jesus to the officials and, and the, the soldiers and all of that kind of stuff. But in a lot of ways, Peter also betrays Jesus. Pretty much exactly betrays Jesus because he denies him three times. The pain of that, the betrayal of that is intense. Think about that. He's been walking with Jesus, learning from him. He's the one who said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. He says, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And then he says, I don't even know the guy. Three different times. Three different times. So you can imagine after that happens how Peter feels. He probably feels like Hagar, Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman. He feels the worst. He feels awful. And maybe some of you have been like that. Maybe some of you have been in this position where you just feel, this can't get any worse. What do I do? But the beautiful thing is, not only 
if you're, if you're feeling outcast or if you're feeling off to the side or you're struggling with something, not only does God see you there, God sees you even when you're mess-ups. You're trying to walk faithfully. There's some of us in this room, like, you're trying to walk faithfully, but you, we mess up. We're not perfect, right? I for sure have been there, and we'll be there again, right? And the beautiful thing is that God sees you even in those moments. So even as, like, the tendencies to kind of want to run away, we should be running towards him as he continues to move our hearts more towards him as we talk about like kind of the inward stuff. So if we look at um, this passage here in John, and it'll be up on the screen, we're gonna jump around to a couple different places. So um, if you wanna follow in your, in your scriptures, you can, um, but it'll be on the screen as well here. So Jesus has risen at this point, and it tells us in, in scripture that for about 40 days or so, he hung out with the disciples after he'd risen again, kind of landing the plane on some teaching and some, some final things, whatever, before he eventually ascends into heaven to be back with God the Father. Um, and during that time, he's doing some important work. One of the things is this right here. So um, there's a kind of a mirror image to when they first meet Jesus, and they can't catch fish, and Jesus tells them what to do, and they catch a whole bunch of fish. And now, here what we see is the disciples, after uh, Jesus been arrested. They think he's, you know, still gone, right? They think he's gone for good. They go back to fishing. Man, it's like, I don't know what else to do, right? We're kind of lost. This is what I did before. I'm just going to go back to that. So they're fishing again. Jesus shows up on the shore, tells them, throw the net on the other side. They catch a whole bunch of fish, and they're like, oh, it's Jesus. This is incredible. This is amazing, right? And so this one point I kind of want to look at here. The after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Is it interesting that he's calling him Simon again? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. He's not actually talking about sheep, okay, which we'll get to in a second. He goes on in uh, verse 17. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. I think a lot of us would be like, did you hear? Did you? Is this thing on? Like, yeah, I, I just said, right? I said it twice, Lord. What do you, what do you? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything and you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus says. Peter denied Jesus three times. How many times did Jesus ask him this question? Three times. There's redemption. There's restoration for Peter. He's still the rock. He's still going to be the rock. Jesus still has this plan for him. That plan is not gone. But there's some inner work that needed to be done in Peter. And Jesus is doing it. And he says, listen, you're going to be going out and you're going to be feeding my sheep. You're going to be taking care of my lambs. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. It's all of us. That's all of us. It's people. It's God's people. And if you're going to be doing that, Peter, we got to make sure that you're good in here, that you're right, that you're following me first and foremost, and then you also understand who you are in me, who you are in me, how I've created you specifically, and then how together we can do this, my spirit in you. So as we go on and we think about this idea of, okay, Peter's been kind of restored, he gets a very special kind of message, right? He gets a very special kind of message, and it's one that is tough for him, 
Okay, so he's been restored. He's, he's walking with the Lord. In Acts 2, we see where the Holy Spirit comes on God's uh, followers, Jesus' followers, right? And, and they are just completely immersed in him. And Peter stands up and preaches. It is an amazing pre- uh, speech, right? And an amazing preaching. And a ton of people come to Jesus. And you see Peter stepping into this role. And you're like, wow, there he is. There's the rock that the church is going to be built on, right? You're kind of starting to see this. But then God does something very interesting with Peter. And I think this is where we can relate to how we've been talking about this idea of strangers welcomed. We start with ourselves, and so he starts with Peter. So we're in Acts chapter 10, okay? So a little bit later. And up until this point, it's important to note that most of the preaching that had been going on was to the Jews, okay? It was to the Jews, to God's people, to the Israelites, right? That's who most of the preaching had been going on to. Until this moment where you see a a shift begin to happen. But it's very, very difficult for Peter because Peter is Jewish and he's very proud of it. He's very proud of it, which is not a bad thing, but it can cause issues. And it's the same for us, right? We can be proud of something, but where does it get in the way of what God is asking us to do? So Peter's up on the top of this, uh, this house and he kind of falls into this kind of sleep type trance kind of thing. And it says this, um, starting in verse 11 here in Acts chapter 10, it says, he saw the sky open, this is Peter, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Sounds like a dream, right? And you guys have like weird dreams like that. You're like, what, what just happened? I don't even know what that is, right? But the Lord is saying, telling him something very specific here. Telling him, so it goes on in uh, verse 14, and it says, No, Lord, Peter declared, like within this vision that he's having, right? I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. He's Jewish and he's very proud of it, right? I've been following the law. I've been working hard to do this, Lord, like you you asked me to do. So I'm not going to do, I don't, I can't do that. What are you asking me? But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated, what? Three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. See, God knows Peter so well, he knows that's his number, right? Three times. So, well, God, yeah, so he's very proud of this. He's, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to. Like we've talked about with the Apostle Paul before. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to. I'm following all these, the, the law and everything. I'm not eating anything impure and unclean. And God says, if I've made it clean, you can't say that that's impure or unclean. He's, he's showing him something. He's showing him something. It goes on a little bit later. We skip ahead to, to verse 28 here. And what happens is somebody shows up right at that moment and they're like, hey, I've got this guy that needs you to come to him because he saw a vision and you got to come speak to him. And so Peter's going, okay, I saw a vision, he saw a vision, I know enough of God to know something's going on here, right? So he goes with these gentlemen, he ends up at a house of a man named Cornelius who's a centurion, a soldier, right? These are Gentiles, non-Jews, like most of us in this room. Not Jewish. So now Peter finds himself at this moment of like, ooh, what do I do here? I've been just kind of mostly preaching to the Jews. He's been holding on to that, right? This is what you asked me to do, Lord. But now, after the vision, and he sees them here, this is what Peter begins to understand. In verse 28, Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or associate with you. 
Dramatic pause. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. He's starting to see. God's been working on him here. He's restored him a couple of different times, right? And now, as you're going out, Peter, I need you to trust me on what I'm asking you to do. And I know this is a different tribe. This is a whole different group of people. They have different customs. They work differently than us. But they need to know about me too. And they have the opportunity to be washed clean in the blood of Jesus just like you do. So Peter begins to see this. And I think this is an important thing here that he's speaking this. But God has shown me this. Tyler talked about this um, a couple weeks ago. When we're processing with the Lord or processing with somebody that we trust in, with the spirits with us, right? God isn't as interested in the information. Why? He knows it. He already knows it. He knows your innermost being, right? He already knows. He doesn't need the information. He just wants your heart. He just wants your heart. It's what he's been working on the whole time with Peter. Right? I just want your heart. Just trust me. I want your heart. I know the places that you struggle. I know that. We could talk about them. You confess. You repent. Trust me. And he knows that Peter does because he keeps using him. He keeps him as a part of his plan. So God doesn't need the information. He just wants your heart. But sometimes we're holding on to something. And we might not even realize we're holding on to something. And he's got, he wants to do something in us or for us. And we have to learn to know when to let go and let God. Right? Amen. All right, so here's what I want everybody to do with me, okay? So if you take your hands and just ball them up tight, ball them up tight, okay? Now, if you hold this for a little while, what's going to happen to your arms and your forearms? You're going to get tired, right? You're going to get tired. You're holding on to this thing so much. And a couple things happen with this. Number one, you get tired. Number two, it's an illusion. The control you think you have, you don't have that control. You don't have it. God's asking you to do something, and his vision is beyond what you can imagine. So as you're doing this, it's in vain. You're holding on to something that you can't possibly hold on to. And number three, if I'm doing this and somebody has something for me, how am I supposed to take it? How am I supposed to take it? When I do this, you can do it with me. Don't your arms feel better? You feel a little free? Guess what? You can also receive what is for you. God, I can't lose this job. You can. Just trust what I have for you. I can't change jobs at this age. That's me. Yeah, you can. Just trust me. I can't lose this relationship. I'm not saying you're going to lose it, but it's going to change. There's all sorts of things that we're holding on to. 
And God is wanting to move in us and through us. But we have to have the open hands. We cannot be faithful if we're in control. We can't, you can't be faithful and in control at the same time. That's the whole thing with Adam and Eve, right? They wanted to take control. So they were no longer faithful. And Peter sees this. And so he goes on, jumps ahead a little bit here in Acts 10 again. And he says, Peter replies, he's talking to Cornelius and his whole house. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There's no favoritism. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, where we're the same matters way more than where we're different. And it doesn't mean that the differences aren't going to be difficult to work through. And it doesn't mean that there's not beauty in some of the differences that we have. And it doesn't mean that when you do this, it's not going to be really hard because it, it will be. But we talk to the Lord about it. We give him the information. We give him our heart. We let go. But it's scary, right? Because we don't want, it's scary for him to even know about us, even though he already does. And it's scary to talk to somebody else. But God has put people in our lives. He, he is a very real reality, his spirit, and we talk to him. But God has also put people in our lives that we can trust and we can talk to. Because when we say it out loud, it can have a lot of power as we process through it. I've talked to a lot of people at work for what I do. And they'll come in in kind of a one-on-one -on -one capacity and we'll sit and they'll talk. And at the end, they either say, wow, I feel so much better. Or they kind of answer their own question, right? They're like, thank you so much. I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just listened. I just sat here. But sometimes it was them just, they just needed to say it. It's different than when it's in your head. They just needed to say it out loud. Say it out loud in prayer to the Lord. Find someone you trust or a couple people. Because the power that that has when you are known and loved can radically change you. Tim Keller puts it this way. The pastor, fantastic. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you more than you can imagine. And as good as that feels for us that are still beginning to embrace that or, or working on embracing that, it's going to feel good for other people too. It's going to feel good for other people too. They need that also. The stranger needs that also. At work, we also have a saying that says, be a river, not a reservoir. So as we learn these things, the inward part, right? And we move to go outward. We want to be a river. We want to not be a reservoir, right? We want to keep the information going. We want to share this. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We want to share that. We want to share it with other people, right? We don't want to hold it up in this reservoir that doesn't go anywhere. We want to share it. 
And so we want to go out as we, as we get to a, a place where we feel like we can go out because inwardly God is working on us and we go, okay, I can now go in the way that he desires for me to, not the way I want to, because that's going to be very different, to go and talk to other people. Do you know why? Part of the reason why, as we talked about back, Caleb talked about it the very first week, we have to teach stranger danger to our kids a lot of times, which by the way is good. I'm not saying don't do that, right? Part of the reason we've got to do this, and for those of you that had kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't know a stranger, right? Hey, what are you about? What do you got going on, right? They want to know. And probably more importantly, they want to tell you what they know, right? So whatever passion they have, you're about to know about it, right? But they want to see if you love it in the same way that they do. Part of the reason we have to tell our kids that is because they just have this innate thing of like, I don't really know a stranger. I'm just going to go and talk to this person. I don't know what their, you know, I don't care really what their gender is, what their background is, what their race is, what their ethnicity is. I don't care. I'm just going to go talk to them because that's a person right there. And I'm curious, how do they think? What are they going on? Like all of that in their head, right? And if you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But Jesus says this in Luke 18. It's actually in three of the gospels where he says, the, the disciples are blocking these kids from coming to him. He says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. We have to almost, for our kids, train them back to go, okay, now it's okay to start going out and talking to people about this because here's here's what God has done for us. Here's what God has done for us, for you. So, Peter stumbles again. Surprise. He stumbles again. And in Galatians 2, we'll just go through this real quick, but I just want to show, like, he's still struggling with this. And I bring it up because we are going to continue to struggle. This is never a done deal. We are working to be the best disciples of Jesus we can be, and then we pass on physically and we go to be with him. Like, that's the way that it works. Through the end of our life here on earth, we are working, should be, every day, every day to get better. We're never done learning. We're never done learning. And we see this with Peter. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, right? And he writes in his letter to the Galatians here in chapter two. He knew Peter, he hung out with him, right? And he says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. I think that's a funny phrase. (laughs) To his face, right? For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So here you see, he's eating with the Gentiles. Everything's fine. He's doing what, you know, he's being faithful. He's talking to them, all this kind of stuff. And then as soon as these other guys come, and he's kind of a little bit afraid again, like he was afraid before, he goes and he's like, oh, I'm not eating with them. I'm eating over here. And so Paul calls him out on it. Right? Because he says in 13, he says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas, who was a, a devout follower of Jesus as well, was led astray by their hypocrisy. So now it's affecting other people too. So we have to be very careful how we are approaching everybody. And you notice that Paul or that Peter was with the Gentiles. In other words, he probably liked them. He got to know them and was like, oh, you're pretty good folk, right? But then there was something in him. And how, much, how many of us have been guilty of this? I certainly have. 
I'm okay with it in private, but if somebody would see me, how would I act? Depending on what I was with. You guys ever do that when you were kids, when you were teenagers, right? You kind of were like a part of two different groups, but those two different groups didn't really like each other. So you would hang out with them separately, you know? But then every now and then the groups would kind of come together, right? And you'd have to run to the one group and go, here's some couple things you need to know about me real quick before you meet them. Because you acted different with them, right? That's not what God is asking us to do. God is saying we're all the same in this way. There's no favoritism. If I've made it clean, don't call it impure or unclean. That's everybody. Everyone has access to Jesus, to my spirit. Share it with them. And we have to get to know them all the way back even in the Old Testament. God knew what he was doing and he knew what his plan was. The prophet Ezekiel tells us this. This is in the middle of exile. This is when things are not looking good at all, especially for God's people, right? Not looking good at all. But he's kind of speaking forward, Ezekiel is, in chapter 36 here. And God is speaking through him and it says, And I will give you, my people, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And the beautiful thing about this is we see it. Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. We get a chance to keep going in our Bibles and read about this. The very thing Ezekiel was talking about hundreds of years before. But we're taking out. God is taking out. Where is my heart stubborn and stony? Do I have a tender and responsive heart? I find a lot of times, no, I don't. On the outward appearance, some people might look at me and go, or look at you and go, I think, yeah, you know. But I know me inside my own heart. I don't necessarily say everything out loud, obviously. But I know that there's times that, no, I don't. I don't have a tender and responsive heart. But I should. That's what God is doing. So, We don't always know what God is doing in people's lives, how the Spirit is working. So it's important that we don't assume that we go when we talk to them. And this is going to be one of our big mantras, that we go and have conversations with people and get to know them. You saw God pushing Peter to do that with the Gentiles. And whoever it is in your life, even some of the ones that are harder, he wants us to be talking to those people. I think a great prayer for us as we wrap up and we think about ourselves and then what does this look like outwardly is from Psalm 139. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 139, if you read the whole thing, is it talks about, the whole psalm talks about King David and he's talking about how well God knows us, way more than we could even imagine way more than we could even imagine. And he wants us to move in the way that he wants us to move, even knowing that he knows us that well because he still loves us. And he knows where we're struggling. And he can help us with that. And he can have people in our lives that can help us with that. So Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, in verse 23 and 24. Know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Point it out where I'm, even I don't see it, but you do. Even I don't realize it, but you do. Know my heart, Lord, because I truly desire, I truly desire to go and talk to people in the way that you want me to. Let him guide us. Let him change our hearts to begin to not see strangers, but people that are loved by God. And in the same way that he is Elroy to me, he is Elroy to them too. So one of our other things that we say, one of our other culture statements that we have here at River Run is, the closer we move to God, the closer we move to people. The closer we move to God, the closer we move to people. And kind of our way that we've been talking about it this year so far, we could think about it like this. The less strange that God becomes, the less strange people become. The less strange that God becomes, the less strange people become. So we have to do the work inwardly. God, know my heart, search me. Give me a tender and responsive heart. Take out my stony and stubborn one so that I can go out and I can talk to anybody and everybody about a God who sees them in their inmost being and don't let that scare you because he still loves you more than anything you can imagine. Let me tell you something. It's done this for me and it can do that for you too. So we're gonna move into our time of response here. And that's the prayer. I encourage you just to pray something like Ezekiel or something like Psalm 139 here. Lord, where am I struggling in this? Show me. Show me where I'm struggling in this. Because I want to do, I really do, I want to do what you're asking me to do to to become less strange and and to get engaged with those that are outside of my regular vision. I want to do that, Lord. But I'm struggling, like Peter. And maybe you do that there in your seat as we get into our song here. Or if you'd like, we're going to have some prayer partners up uh, where the crosses are here up front. I'll be down front as well. And we'd love to pray with you about it because none of this is easy, guys. It's easy to stand up here and say, hey, do this, do that. But it's not. So we have the spirit that can help us, but we also have us, each other, that we can go to. King David had Nathan who came to him and said, hey, you're messing up, man. Peter had Paul who said, hey, you're a little off on this. And it can help us to be who God wants us to be in engaging with others. And as a reminder of the amazing gift we've been given through Jesus Christ to even make any of this possible, we have our communion tables on the sides here if you'd like to partake in that and just remember the sacrifice that he made for us. We also have our, our baskets at the back for giving. And again, that is just more worship, just a response of our heart to his, that, to, that tender and responsive heart of we're so grateful for the things that he's given us. And we feel he's asking us to, to give in some way. 
So those are back there. You can give online as well. So let me pray for us. And then we can respond. And I just pray, my prayer is that his spirit would permeate your hearts to be tender and responsive and that he would give you the strength and the wisdom to see how we can share this amazing, amazing news with those around us. Lord, we, thankful, we are so thankful that you are Elroy, the God who sees. We're thankful that you see us so deeply even amongst knowing every part of us. We pray that you give us the strength and the wisdom here to begin to see where you're guiding us to share that same news with others. But Lord, we know it's hard. You know that it's hard for us. And so we pray that you just continue to guide us, that we continue to lean into you, to show us where we can lean into you through scripture and prayer and others. And you begin to give us avenues to help people become less strange and for us to become less strange to them. We love you and we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.